Good morning and welcome to church, a place where we gather round the table and take in God's goodness and truth. We are so glad you are here. Whether your chair has been pulled up to this table for a long time, we're blessed to have you with the wisdom and maturity that you bring. Whether you are just pulling your chair up to this table, we are so glad that you are here with us. This is a wonderful place to join together in God's story and live and grow in him. We are so glad you're here. If you are uh, just joining us, would you grab a card from the seat in front of you and fill it out? Give it to the ushers on the way out. We would love to get to know you and join in the story with you. If you are visiting us online, hello, good morning. We're glad that you are with us, even if you cannot be here with us. Uh, we have a great opportunity coming up April 30th for people who have given Jesus their burden of sin and exchanged it for the forgiveness and freedom that he offers. The next step for you is baptism. We see in Acts, Peter teach people about the truth and love of Jesus. And after they accept that truth and love, they move directly into baptism. Baptism is an outward expression of what has happened in your heart. It is a wonderful way to join deeper into God's story. So if baptism sounds like the next step in your faith journey, we want you to go on blchurch.com, click the baptism banner, and fill out the form. We want to join in with you as you further your relationship and live in the story that God has for you. Friday night was a wonderful, wonderful time. We feasted. We feasted on chicken wings and pizza, thanks to Callie Alvis and her crew. But we feasted on more than that. We worshiped God in this place. It was filled with the Holy Spirit's presence. And we all came away satisfied in him. We are so thankful for that and thankful that we have an opportunity to do that again today. If you are a regular attender here and you want to obey God and you trust him with your resources and all that he has given to you, you can give your tithes and offerings. There are three ways you can go online to do it. You can text to give or you can just drop it in the basket on the way out. But we appreciate that you are joining with us to help others, to tell others about the story and the truth of God. Right now, we have the opportunity to do exactly what we did on Friday night. So whether you were here Friday or not, now is our opportunity to worship God together, to be satisfied with him and what he has for us. Will you stand with me as we pray and prepare our hearts for worship? Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you pursue each and every one of us. Thank you that you desire us to grow. Holy Spirit, will you fill this place right now? Will you fill our hearts with worship for God? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. Put your hands together. 
but that's okay because we're here to worship him. We're here to make his joy loud in this place, his praise loud, and we're going to do just that. We're going to continue to worship him this morning.
He always makes a way. Let's declare that one more time together. I know where my help comes from. And I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. And I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. And my confidence remains in the name above all names. And I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. Amen. So grateful. So blessed that we have a God who comes to meet our needs, who comes to help us, who comes to pull us along every day, making us more like him as we seek him, to move and act like him as we seek his spirit. So blessed. But you see, the reason we can do that this morning, the reason we can have that help is because Jesus died on the cross and he rose again for our sins. And he said, when I go away, if I go away, and when I do, I will send you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And that Comforter, the Holy Spirit, is the one who is moving in our lives each and every day, helping us. He is our help. But it's because Jesus died and rose again and sent his Spirit. He died for us. He rose and sent his Spirit. We have his help today. Let's worship him and thank him for that. Separated, the breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your side. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne.
Well, good morning. My name is Tom Corey, and I have the privilege to talk to you today about the workshop. The workshop is an eight-week session that we do here at Victory Life Church two or three times a year that is directly related to the mission here at Victory Life Church, and that is to join the story, live the story, and tell the story. That's the story of Jesus. And that also fits very perfectly into the focus that we have this year, which is shine your light. You know, Jesus commanded us in Mark chapter 16 to go out into all the world and to preach the gospel to all creation. And also in Mark chapter 28, he said, go out and make disciples of all nations. And that means to preach the gospel wherever we are, wherever we go. And you know, interestingly, that wasn't a suggestion. He wasn't asking us to. And I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, that somewhere deep in your heart, you want to obey that command. So the workshop is a way for you to do that. Now, maybe you don't feel very confident or very comfortable talking about Jesus. Maybe you don't feel competent, but the workshop will change all of that for you. You're going to start to understand why some people believe things that just aren't true. And you know what? You're going to get the good feeling of knowing that you are obeying that call to tell his story. You're going to learn, not, not a script, but you're going to learn how to use your individuality to go out and preach the gospel to people that you meet, that you know, that you will meet. You know, maybe there's already somebody in your mind. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker, But you just don't know how to do it. Well, the workshop will help you. You know, the other thing is, when you feel that you're being used by God to possibly change the eternity of someone's soul, there's just no better feeling than that. So the workshop is beginning on April 19th. It will run for eight consecutive Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. And child care will be provided if you have little ones. Also, immediately after service, I will be out in the lobby to answer any questions you might have, give you some more information, and to get you signed up if you're interested. One more thing, if you've already been through the workshop, I want you to stop out and see me. I have a brief survey for you that you can do at your leisure and bring it back when you get a chance. That's all I have. Thank you very much. All right, young disciples, you may be dismissed at this time. Thank you, Tom, for bringing us that announcement today about the workshop starting April 19th as we sit here and revel in glory and the salvation that Jesus has brought us. Boy, wouldn't it be great if the Lord could encourage us to help others revel in that same salvation. So we hope if you have not yet begun that journey of telling the story that you will participate in the workshop with us 
beginning on the 19th. It is the tell-the-story element of our vision. For every part of our vision, whether it's join the story, live the story, or tell the story, we have practical things to put into the lives of disciples and believers, and we hope you'll take part in that if you have not yet done that. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with us to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, we are on the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, and we're going to wrap up the third missionary journey this week and then move into the fourth missionary journey next week. A few weeks ago, something major happened in the world of sports. A local person, someone that grew up about 10 miles down the road, broke the all-time scoring record for the NBA a record that was thought to never be able to be broken or assailed. But after 20 years of practicing, 20 years of physical uh, exertion, 20 years of honing his craft, a local guy you might have heard of named LeBron broke the NBA all-time scoring record, which is a record that will last, well, for at least another 50 years or 100 years or 200 years. I don't know how long the NBA is going to be around. But it was a legacy-defining moment for a professional athlete, and it found its way into all the news cycles, all the different places that people might get their news because it was a pretty big accomplishment, a legacy-defining moment. You say, why do you bring that up? Well, I bring that up today because I want to offer you the tried and true opportunity to have a legacy-making event bigger than that. It's available to all of you. You have a way available to you right now of creating a legacy far greater than the NBA scoring record. Something that will last not as long as there's an NBA, but will last as long as there's a God in heaven. See, you have the opportunity right now to take part in things, to make an investment in things that will last into the ages. As every news outlet celebrated on some level an accomplishment having to do with putting a ball in a hoop, you have the opportunity to do something that no news outlet will celebrate. No worldly machination will be excited about, but that will last forever. You see, that's what the Apostle Paul was doing on his evangelistic journeys. He was not only creating a legacy for himself, but his desire was to create a legacy that would last for eternity for the Lord. Now, we often don't get to hear about our legacy, well, ever, because the first time people eulogize us is when we're already in heaven. But interestingly, Paul has an opportunity as he commissions the elders of Ephesus to kind of get to write his own epitaph. You see, I'll sort of let you know the end of the story from the beginning here. In a few weeks when we end Acts, we're going to find Paul in Rome, and we don't end up getting the rest of the story. We don't get to hear the end of the story of his life. But as Paul leaves Ephesus... In Acts chapter 20, one of the most important legacy-defining churches of his ministry, we get to see what God did through him and how he did it. We see the investment that he made that was going to last into the ages. 
Because today there are people roaming the halls of heaven because of what Paul did in Ephesus. There are people roaming the halls of heaven because of what the elders that Paul commissioned in Acts chapter 20 did. And down through the ages, the most important thing that we can ever invest in is a legacy for the kingdom of God. I want to talk about that legacy. I want to talk about that investment that each one of us can make. Because our accomplishments will not be written in the Guinness Book of World Records. Our accomplishments as Christians, they will not be written in the annals of sports history. But together with the Holy Spirit, that which we accomplish for the Lord Jesus Christ will well up into being written in the Lamb's Book of Life, a book that will last into the ages and for eternity. Let's talk about Paul's legacy and what it might mean for ours. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and following. Now Paul was in the port town of Miletus, so he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You elders yourselves know how I lived among you. The whole time, from the first day that I set foot here in Asia, I served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you here in Ephesus among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. And therefore I testify to you this day I'm innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, and you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is better to give than to receive. And when Paul had said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, and they kissed him, 
being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So here we find ourselves at the close of Paul's wildly successful third missionary journey, his third evangelistic journey. Ephesus was a city center from which the gospel had sprayed out to the point that Luke uses hyperbole to describe for us just how well things went. Luke says that the word of the Lord went to all of Asia, right? That's, that's hyperbole, of course. I'm sure there was some nook or cranny of Asia, right, that, that the gospel might not have got to during Paul's three years there. But what's, what's clear is Paul is discipling people who are then evangelizing others. It's a powerful, powerful time in his ministry. Of course, you have the book of Ephesus in your Bible, a pretty large treatise on the nature of salvation on the church. Pretty good book, by the way, if you ever want to read it. This successful missionary journey is perhaps the highlight of Paul's ministry, even though there's probably multiple highlights. But he's letting the elders, the leaders of the churches, if I may be so bold, the churches of Ephesus, know that if they are to continue to have the success that Paul experienced, they ought to do things the way they'd seen Paul do them. Remember how in another place in Scripture Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ? That's what Paul is doing here. He's reminding them of the nature of the ministry in Ephesus that had been so wildly successful so that they also could have a successful ministry. He wanted them to minister in the same way that he did. So I was looking at this massive, long passage, this passage for you an hour earlier than you'd hoped to be at church this morning, as you were blinking, thinking, is this, oh, I, I, have to, I have to stay invested in what he's reading or I'm going to fall asleep. This long, beautiful passage about Paul's ministry, uh, there's a lot of things we could have talked about. We could have talked about his per perseverance in ministry. We could talk about the elders' need to protect the church from threats within and without. We could talk about how Paul had this idea that he didn't want to receive ministry contributions from the city that he was in. He would receive them from cities that he had already been to, but not the city that he was in. He says he does this for the weak, meaning those who would ascribe to him impure motives in being there. We could talk about Paul just wanting to finish his course. But the thing that stuck out to me was the farewell. The farewell. The words of Paul and him telling him, the Ephesian elders, how to minister are powerful. And we're going to get back into them. But, but this farewell, it's painful. It's sad. It's as if we're at a funeral. Let's read it again, verse 36 through 38. And when Paul had said all these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They, literally in the Greek, fell upon his neck. You ever, you ever gone to church in the South where they hug your neck? They don't just hug you, they say, I'm going to hug your neck. I don't know what that means, but it could be scriptural. They fell upon his neck. And they kissed, they don't kiss in the South. We don't kiss in the American church, praise God. But and they kissed him, right? And that was not weird back then. That would have just been normal. They are, they, they are experiencing this terrible farewell because Paul is leaving them. Now, now, you read it with me. How long have they known Paul? Three years. Paul wasn't some blood relative who they were never going to see again. Paul wasn't some lifelong friend who they were never going to see again. 
Yet they're treating this farewell as his funeral, as his deathbed, because it's the last time they're going to see him. And there is much weeping on the part of all, and there's hugs, and there's kisses, and there's goodbyes, and there's utter devastation that Paul is leaving them. So he wasn't a blood relative. He wasn't a childhood friend. So what was he? He was their spiritual father. He was their father in faith. He had invested in their lives so strongly that when it becomes clear that he is leaving their lives forever, they can't take it emotionally. That's who he is. He's their spiritual father. Imagine being a spiritual father or mother to the degree that when you retired from your workplace, you'd have an HR issue for people hugging and kissing. No, I'm kidding. But imagine that, that, that your, your leaving that workplace would bring about this type of sorrow. Imagine if you were to leave your neighborhood tomorrow, that you had been such a spiritual father or mother to your neighborhood that folks would be devastated that you left. Students, imagine if you were at your school and all of a sudden you had to transfer would your friends be devastated because you had been a spiritual father or mother to this extent? You see, Jesus has commanded us to shine our light, to put that light up on a lampstand for all to see and make sure that we are taking responsibility for the people around us and their relationship with God. But Paul, here in Ephesus had taken on responsibility for, for these people's relationship with God to such an extent they knew his heart that it was devastating to lose him. So suffice it to say, when Paul says farewell to Ephesus, he's saying farewell to a huge part of his earthly legacy. But what he will never know is the impact, the full impact he was going to have until he reached heaven. But what I want to talk to you about in our time together today in the next 20 minutes is what type of investment Paul made to bring him to this point. Because I believe with all my heart it's the investment that God's calling many of you to. Right in this place, right today, that you would make such an investment in the lives of the people around you that on the day that you leave this earth or on the day that you leave this area, or your workplace, or your school, or your neighborhood, people would turn around and say, I'm losing my father, I'm losing my mother, but I'd been raised to do right. That would be incredible. How did Paul get there? Well, let's go back into the scriptures to find out. Paul says to the elders in verse 18, you know how I lived when I was among you the whole time I was in Asia Look at verse 19. It kind of lays out the nature of his ministry. I serve the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Now, that doesn't sound wildly successful to me. That sounds tough. That sounds unenjoyable. Here, we see the payoff of everything that Paul has done, right? 
we get down. I like to think they're on the beach in Miletus. I like to think they're kneeling down in the sand. Just a picture that I like to have in my head. But, but, but that they're having this moment of farewell that's so sad but so beautiful. But, but it starts here. It starts with the idea that Paul had developed this relationship through sustained hardship. He said, I came to you in humility, and it was with tears, and it was with trials. And of course, multiple times we, talk, we see Paul's hard work. Paul says, I minister kind of in season to the big groups, and then I went house to house. We see that Paul ministered with his own hands. Towards the end of this passage, he says, you know what, I plied my trade. I, I, I did my tent making here. I didn't have money from other churches. For three years, I supported not only myself, but I supported my ministry associates. So the ones that are there with him, he's supplying not only for his needs, but the needs of others. And in addition to taking care of all the people in his inner circle, he was going house to house preaching the gospel, and he was going to the synagogues and preaching the gospel, and he was hanging out in the hall of Tyrannus Rex preaching the gospel. So we have this beautiful story of Paul working hard through the trials, through the tears, in all humility, and that's how you get to this point. You must develop relationship through sustained hardship. That's how we end up with a legacy. Developing relationships through tough things. Sustained hardship is not something that any of us want to do. We want to develop relationships through affinity and at our ease. Affinity is simply, well, Tom likes basketball. I like basketball. Maybe we should go watch basketball together. And we, we have a friendship based in the mutual affinity. We like something that's the same. Or, of course, we have relationships that are easy for us. So if our kids are in baseball, we're friends with the baseball parents. If our kids are in dance, we're friends with the dance parents. If our kids are into karate, we're in, in, in a friendship with the karate parents. If, if, if we're a teenager, which the club or the group or the sport that we play, right? Throughout life, we base our relationships on ease and affinity. Well, I like that person, and therefore, I'm going to build a relationship with them. This is not the way of legacy. The way of legacy is to develop relationship through sustained hardship, and that's what Paul does. He develops this relationship with the Ephesians in humility and in trials and in tears and with hard work. I wonder if Paul developed relationships with anybody he didn't like. I just wonder. As he says, I, I, I was with you in humility and with tears. I wonder if there was anybody that just rubbed Paul the wrong way that he won to Jesus. I just wonder that because it seems to me that Paul's method of ministry is such that he recognizes that he's going to share the gospel and build a relationship with people in season and out of season where it's easier, where it's hard, and he's just not going to give up. The relationships that he builds is not just going to be because he enjoys the people that he wants to have relationship with. The relationship that he builds is going to be because he feels called to the people that he's going to have a relationship with. And that's humbling. That's humility. I'm not better than that person. 
I'm not wiser than that person. I'm not cooler than that person. I'm not in a different socioeconomic strata than that person. I will develop relationship because I feel called to them. Paul says that he came to the Ephesians in humility. I don't necessarily know what that meant for Paul. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't tell us what that humility entailed. But I want to tell you today, if you begin to develop relationships because you feel called and not because it's easy, you are going to be humbled. You are going to have people who are going to not be interested in relationship with you. Imagine that. You're going to have people that put you directly in the friend zone. You say, what's the friend zone? Well, the friend zone is this. You ever wanted to date somebody who didn't want to date you back? And, and, and then you, you end up hanging out with them, having a good time, but then you're like, hey, did you ever like consider dating? They're like, no, you're just my friend. None of you have ever been put in the friend zone, I know. Well, what's going to happen to you, it's going to be so humbling, is you're going to build a relationship with people, and you're going you're gonna to do so in order to share the gospel, and then when you share the gospel, they're going to look at you and say, I don't want to talk about that anymore. That's what I mean by the friend zone. They say, you got to stay back there. You're coming in too close to where I live. I don't want to talk about that. I've had some of you right in this room that have told me your friends have told you with expletives, don't bring that up to me again. Right? We can't get that intimate in that conversation. It's not going to happen. That's humbling. It's embarrassing. It does things to you. There's plenty of people who said, Paul, I don't want to hear that anymore. It's going to happen to you. It's a very humbling experience. Using this dating analogy, some of you are going to get ghosted. You know what ghosting is? All of a sudden, you got a relationship with somebody. It starts going well, and all of a sudden, they stop. They stop returning your texts and your calls. And you're like, what I do? You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything wrong. You were just being humbled because you were developing relationship through hardship. Some of you are going to develop relationship with people when you don't have enough time and you don't have enough energy and you don't have enough bandwidth. And you're going to put your needs and your desires on the back burner because you want to make sure other people can know Jesus. It's humbling. It's saying they're more important than I am. Just like Philippians chapter 2 says, consider others better than yourselves. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than yourselves. That's the humility that is necessary to win some people to Christ. And of course, if you do begin to shine your light, you're going to have varying success. Sometimes it's going to go really well, and sometimes it's going to go really stinky. I'm thinking about those of you who have signed up to host neighborhood vacation Bible schools this summer. Some of you are going to have wild success, and others of you are going to look in your backyard and say, where is everybody? Humbling. 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 Do you think that Paul walked into some houses where multiple people got saved, and he walked into other houses where multiple people rejected him and his message? Humbling. Don't think you can shine your light without being humbled. And this is the issue. This is the main issue that most of us can't get over when it comes to shining our light. We do not wish to be humbled. 
We don't wish to be neglected, have the word that we spoke be uninteresting or not compelling or, or, or people could poke holes in it. We don't want to be mocked. We don't want to be ignored. And therefore, we don't shine our light at all. But Paul left a lasting legacy because he was willing to be humbled. Will you and I? That's why it's so important when we come and we gather in these church spaces that we worship the Lord with all of our heart. Because worship in and of itself is a natural humbling of oneself where you glory and lift up the name of the Lord. It puts you in a position to glory and lift up the name of the Lord in humility outside of these doors. Because what happens in church, as we learned way back in Acts chapter 13, matters for evangelism. Paul says that I develop these relationships through tears. And I want to warn you today, making disciples is a gut-wrenching endeavor. You're going to get your guts ripped out now and again. Because you're going to invest in people, and then they're not going to change. You're going to invest in people, and they're going to start to think your motives are wrong. You're going to invest in people, and they're going to be like the rocky soil, or the soil that's choked with weeds, or the soil that has birds coming and picking up the seed, just as Jesus said. And you'll cry, or at least you'll want to. Because you've made time and effort on behalf of people. And all of a sudden, they ascribe to you impure motives. You've taken time and effort on behalf of people. And their relative tells them, don't, don't talk to that person anymore. That's a cult. You'll, you'll, you'll invest in people with time and effort. And they'll go to HR. And they'll say, so-and-so is making me uncomfortable. You say, Pastor Matt, this is the most depressing sermon that you have ever preached. No, I'm just being real with you all. That this is hard. This is tough. It is not easy. But it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile to be father or mother spiritually to one or two or ten would be the greatest thing that you could do in your life. You would endure the trials if you could see the end. If you could see it in your mind's eye what your work and your trials would bring about, you'd do it. If you could picture yourself in the halls of heaven with people who looked at you and said, thank you for obeying the Lord, would you do it? Paul's on the beach that day in Miletus. Once again, the Bible doesn't say beach. This is just my picture. Kneeling and praying with these people who love him with their whole being because... He sustained hardship to develop relationship for them. I don't claim to be a great evangelist, folks. I don't claim to be the best evangelist in the church, but I'll be honest with you. I've never helped win anybody to Christ without sacrificing my time. And I've never helped win anybody to Christ without risking embarrassment. And I'm not a crier, but I have had my guts ripped out in trying to win people to Jesus. That's the price we pay if we want a legacy that lasts. The second thing we must do is take on personal responsibility. Two times in this passage, Paul says, I did not shrink. What did Paul not shrink from? He says, I did not shrink from teaching you everything that was profitable, which means he's not embarrassed of the Bible. 
He's not embarrassed of the gospel. He's not embarrassed of the truth. If it's profitable for human beings, Paul will say it. Secondly, he says, I did not shrink again from giving you the whole counsel of God. Meaning, if there were parts of the gospel that rubbed me the wrong way, I told you anyways. Because it doesn't matter what I like or what feels good to me. What matters is what God has declared through his son, Jesus Christ. So I didn't shrink. And therefore, he says in verse 26, I am responsible for the blood of no one. Did you catch that? Responsible for the blood of no one. What's he getting at? Well, you'd have to know a little bit about Ezekiel for that to mean something to you. But the idea from Ezekiel is that God's leaders are watchmen on the wall. And if they don't cry out when the enemy comes, they are responsible for the blood of the people. But if they do cry out when the enemy comes, they are not responsible for the blood of the people. It's a picture about leadership and faith. Paul says, I didn't shrink from giving you the entire counsel of God or anything that was profitable, so I am responsible for none of you if you don't make heaven. That's what he's getting at. That's a powerful statement that he saw his call as so instrumental to the lives of the people in Ephesus that he took personal responsibility for their salvation. Now, you can't win anybody to Christ. Did you know this? Only the Holy Spirit can convict people of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can do that work. But it has always pleased God to use human beings as instruments in his service. You can be an instrument that's responsible for the people around you. See, Paul took personal responsibility for the salvation of the people to whom he was called. And that's why when he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm not worried about my life, I just want to finish the course that God's laid out for me, he knows he's called to more people, that he's going to proclaim the gospel to, he's going to talk about Jesus with, he's going to do it, and therefore he knows his course isn't run. There's still responsibility out there for me to take on. And I want to look at you today and say, who are you responsible for? Has God called you to anyone? I mean, you've, you've heard these messages and, and, and you've listened to this shine your light stuff for six, seven months now. Are you responsible for anybody? Has God been knocking on your heart's door saying, you got to develop that relationship. you got to share with those people. you got to make a way for them to hear the gospel. Have you taken on responsibility for anyone? Because God has placed you in a certain place, in a certain position in your life's history with a call on your life. Are you going to answer it? He's placed you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your specific place in your family for such a time as this. Will you answer the call? Will you actually take responsibility for the salvation of some or at least the hearing of the gospel of some? Because you're there. Or are you just going to hope someone else comes to Ephesus? Are you just going to pray that someone else comes along and shares the truth with the people around you? You see, the great heroes of Scripture, they took responsibility for others. And we must as well. The first modern missionary to India was a man named William Carey. And he sat around with a group of pastors to try to convince them that they should get involved in world missions. He was saying, we got to go, and, and forgive the language that's archaic, we got to go to heathen lands where, where people do not yet hear, know the gospel. We got to get out there. And he's trying to convince a bunch of old pastors 
in the late 1700s, early 1800s, that it's time to invest in world mission. And one old pastor stood up and looked at William Carey and said, Young man, sit down, you are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. That was heresy. That was heresy. That's a complete untruth. God uses people to bring about his gospel. You know, Kerry was famous for two great sayings. One, one was this in his book. Kerry says, consider the practicability. We don't say practicability anymore. Consider the practicability of doing something more than is done. That's what we're calling people to right here in this series. Would you consider how to make practical doing more than is currently done? In your workplace, would you consider doing more than is done in your neighborhood? Would you consider doing more than is currently done in your school for the sake of the gospel because you took the salvation of people around you as a personal responsibility Kerry also said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. He later left for India, having convinced all those old pastors that he should go. He considered the practicability of doing more than is done. He left with his wife and three young children, with one on the way, for a land that hadn't been evangelized in 1,600 years. Powerful. Taking personal responsibility for those a continent away. How do people like Paul and William Carey exist? Where, where, where do they come from? Or there are people who, are remain, who remain awed by Jesus and his gospel. They don't graduate from the gospel. They don't consider singing a song in church like Jesus Messiah or Amazing Grace as something that's old and tired. Instead, they remain awed that the Son of God came to earth to reconcile fallen men and women to himself. That, That he made a way across that great divide. That that he came and pursued people that they may have eternity in heaven. When Paul is commissioning the Ephesian elders, he talks about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, testifying to the gospel of the grace of God, declaring the whole counsel of God, all for the sake of the church, which Paul says Jesus purchased with his blood. 20 to 30 years after his call into ministry, Paul is still awed by Jesus. How about you? How about you? Are you still awed by Jesus in the gospel? What would be necessary to be so in awe of him that you would develop relationship through hardship and take personal responsibility for the salvation of some. What would need to happen? 
Folks, every time we gather, we have an opportunity to reawaken that awe in Jesus and his gospel. Because it is that blessed awe that will have us go from this place and do the hard things that will last for eternity. That's who Paul was. And that's who we ought to be. I want something better than a scoring record. You should too. Whatever you're investing in today, I encourage you. It's not the best investment unless it's for the kingdom. He has things to do through you. Would you take personal responsibility for that? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, there are spiritual fathers and mothers in this place today. But many of them have only ever seen themselves as brothers and sisters. Oh Lord, would you put a desire in your people's hearts? Would you place a holy desire people's hearts to want to foster and nurture others into the kingdom. Would you help us consider the practicability of doing more than is done if it meant that people came to know Jesus for eternity? Would you teach us Expect great things from God as we attempt great things for God. And Lord, would you help us to so immerse ourselves in the Word and in worship and in your church that the awe of Jesus and his gospel would overflow from us in every place we go. Some of you today, the Lord has already spoken to you. He's told you what you ought to do. And for some of you today, it's not the first time he's had to speak that word. My encouragement for you today is to make yourself accountable for the word that he has spoken. This is the day to tell a friend, an elder, or a pastor, this is what God's called me to. I need your help. This is the day to step out in faith and obey the word of the Lord.
Don't wait any longer. We'll help you along the journey. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're going to use every one of us for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand today? It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Sadly, it's not 9.30, so you don't have all day ahead of you. But it is 10.36, so you have most of the day ahead of you. God bless you for getting up early this morning and being in church. I do hope, if God's speaking to your heart, that you'll come and talk to one of us. If you're new here to Victory Life this morning, stop by the Welcome Center with that visitor card. And, of course, if you're interested in the workshop or baptism, uh, you can do both of those things. Baptism by hopping on the website or talking to Tom in the lobby today about the workshop. God bless you.